inviting members of, of Grace Life to come up on the first Sunday of every month. This is when we take the Lord's Supper. And um, a new tradition also is that someone from our church has an opportunity to come up here and share just the wonderful, marvelous work of God in their life with the rest of us. So this Sunday, we had the privilege of our very dear sister, Courtney Wampler. She's going to come up, and she's going to share her story. So come on up, Courtney. Good morning, church family. Can everybody hear me? We're good now? Okay. When I was asked to give my testimony, my Baptist roots took me back to the day where I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. However, the more I pondered and prayed about what I was going to say, the more I felt I should share what that statement has meant to me specifically in my adult life, and especially since I've married Thomas. Like Pastor Tommy, I am a little bit of a word nerd, and when I sat down to put my thoughts together for this morning, I was curious about what the word trust meant. So I opened my dictionary app, yes, they have those, and found out, trust means assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. As many of you know, Thomas and I have moved around a lot. I used to struggle with the idea of not having the feeling of stability because every time I thought we had planted our roots, God decided it was time to relocate. Our biggest move was five years ago this month when we moved here. That's when God began working on my heart and challenging whether I trusted him. Up until then, I had trusted him in little pockets, but this move would require and ended up challenging me in ways that only God could allow. Around that time, the song Oceans by Hillsong had become popular, and every word of that song spoke to the journey that I knew God was calling me to. Leaving Tennessee to come to Florida, to me, seemed like God was calling me to step out of the boat like Peter. I knew God was calling us to leave and to trust him. The bridge of that song is really what pierced my heart. It goes like this. Like Tommy, I'm going to try not to sing, okay? <laughs> Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you should call me. Take me deeper than my faith could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. This became my prayer, and boy, did God answer. Our transition here was rocky, to say the least. As I sat in local parks and in Starbucks while Trey was in school, I was looking for, and I was looking for a home, my faith was made stronger. I got to see God's faithfulness firsthand. He proved himself worthy. I'm sorry, he proved himself trustworthy, which is a picture of his grace because he has nothing to prove, yet he knows our hearts are prone to wander, and he cares for us in ways that will seal our hearts for thy courts above. Since then, he has continued to take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and he used his church to do that. Through circumstances that only God himself could orchestrate, we ended up at Grace Life. 
And when we first entered, we knew that there was something different about this church. The smell, as Tommy says, of the culture was different. We were welcomed in a way that reflected God's own heart for his people. We came in with a five-year-old boy with unique needs and dropped him off in Grace Life Kids with barely any questions asked. Bill and Christy received him that day as the image bearer of God that he is. During our return visits, we began to notice that Grace Life was a gospel-centered community that served others and sought after God. God used Grace Life to show me for the first time in my life what it means to live in a community with fellow believers. A group of fellow believers that truly accepted me as a child of God. I've been able to experience a freedom from judgment. This community allowed me to feel safe being vulnerable, but was willing to disciple me towards Christ by walking in the light so that I could be reminded of the gospel. The Spirit used this to sanctify me in ways that I could have never imagined. Beyond this, the people of Grace Life have come alongside us to walk with us through Trey's multiple complicated leg surgeries, the birth of our second son, Perrin, Thomas's coaching transitions and job frustrations, and so much more. Over the last five years, God has used life circumstances and this church, his church, to help me lean into my commitment to place my trust in him, which has helped me to prepare for our family's next move. As most of you probably know, because of Trey's excitedness, he has shared that we are locating, relocating to Alabama in about a week. I'm very emotional about this because for the first time, I felt like God had had us in a good place. Dare I say, I was content. But God, as he does when he is preparing you for something, he speaks through his word. In Exodus, we find the Israelites in the wilderness, having just built the tabernacle and God's spirit in a cloud resting over it. They get settled. They know it's not the land of milk and honey, but it is a good place. They are being cared for. Then one day they wake up and the cloud is gone. It's time to move. Moses trusts God completely and leads the Israelites to the next place where the cloud will rest. Maybe I'm over-spiritualizing, but I feel like this is what we are trying to do. Following God to the next place where he will have us rest on our journey to heaven, the new promised land. He used God, God used his word to remind me of his promises and trustworthiness. I'm still emotional, but it's a bittersweet feeling wrapped in gratefulness. Grateful that I've been able to be a part of this community. Grateful that I've been able to serve alongside of you. Grateful that you have entrusted me to leave, lead Grace Life Kids and to disciple your children. But mostly grateful for a God who is sovereign, worthy to be trusted, and whose plan is better than mine because it will be for my good and his glory. Since at one time I helped with community group questions, I can't help but to ask one last question before I go. What is holding you back from fully relying on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God and the gospel? Grace Life Church, we will, you will remain in our prayers and our hearts, and we will learn, yearn for the day that we will fellowship together again, whether that's here on earth or around the heavenly banquet table.
Thank you, Courtney. And, uh, and it's always bittersweet to hear when a family or an individual at Grace Life, the Lord is moving his cloud and taking them further into his will. Uh, but part of our culture here, one of our cultural values and DNA is that we're a sending church. So I'm training myself to think not in terms of, oh, we're losing the Wampler family. Thomas, the worship team, part of the student ministry discipleship. That family's invested deeply here, their fingerprints, you see them everywhere. But if we're thinking clearly about this, they don't have a Grace Life brand on their rear end like their cattle. They don't belong to us, do they? They belong to the Lord. They're the Lord's sheep, and he's moving them. He's, sent, he's moving them, and so our responsibility, I feel, is to send them. That's one of the cultural values here. So we're going to send the Wamplers. We're not going to do it today. We're going to do it next week. We're going to send them off. We're going to have a celebration, so you don't want to miss that. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Thomas. Trey and Perrin, uh, unforgettable, your, your impact here, your investment in our families and children and community group, part of our community group, actually, and, and, and Deland, so thank you. Um, my name is Tommy. If I haven't had the joy and pleasure of meeting you, I hope we can connect maybe after the service or another time. Uh, lead pastor here. This is our seventh year as a church plant. Uh, it's not even really fair to call us a church plant any longer, but it feels like we're a plant because... We're kind of in a pot, <laughs> I feel like. We're praying for God to relocate this church locally, somewhere here close. We're asking God to give us a building. We've been praying for that really fervently, unitedly as a congregation this year. Please continue. I wish I had an update for you. I don't. Uh, as, as far as a, a good time to buy property and buy land, this is not really a good time for that, is it? But we're trusting God. He owns, we, we say this verse, I hear it quoted all the time. He owns what? The cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills they live on, and he controls the hearts of the person who has the land deed to that. <laughs> and God, we're asking God to move powerfully, sovereignly, mercifully, compassionately for our church. We need a home base. We need a place to be stationed so that we can do equipping and not have to depend on uh, a county-owned building or campus uh, to let us lease it, but this school has been nothing short of amazing. So, all that being said, I'm going to pause and pray and ask God to do what only he can do. Uh, if you're new here and haven't met you before, we are jumping right into Romans 8 for the third, fourth, or fifth time here. We're going through the book of Romans. We're, we're calling this series Engage. Uh, we're going through it, you know, verse, verse by verse, sometimes a few more verses than others, but we are really in the thick of things in, in the first part of chapter 8, and I'm going to preach probably two sermons on this. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 5. I'm going to read starting with verse 3 for some context. But verses 5 to 11, it's going to take two sermons. So today, this Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be there. I want to pause, pray, and ask God to come. Excuse me, ask God to come and help us and bless us. So would you join me? Lord Jesus, we know that your word and, and even a, a, a sermon is just going to be ink on paper, just words floating through the air, unless your spirit comes and empowers those words gives unction to me as I speak. It gives uh, faith and receptivity and openness to our hearts. And also give us discernment, Lord, to, to distinguish um, what's helpful, what's true, what your spirit is wanting us to, to be gently challenged by today or encouraged by today. A, a, a church, even, even a, a, a smaller church like this, Lord, it's, it's uh, every single human need that walked through those doors I can't possibly meet it. Our leadership can't possibly discern what it is. It takes your spirit, and you promise to give your spirit to us in fullness and in endless power. 
And I pray that he would be here today. He would be active in both his word, uh, which he inspired, and his people whom he fills to hear and to respond in faith, maybe with repentance, maybe with encouragement, maybe with believing these promises that we read here. Do that which only you can do. God, we're all thinking of freedom this weekend and and the life of our country. Uh, I pray that we would think of it in terms of spiritual freedom, which is a a very powerful theme that's dominant throughout this chapter. Lord, we have been freed to serve you, to love you, to obey you, to fulfill the righteous requirements of your law. We've been freed from the dominion, the power, the corrupting uh, influence of sin. We have been freed by the Son, and, and whoever the Son frees is free indeed. So may we experience that reality today. May we be reminded of it. May we believe it and live according to it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, assurance. I've told you before, this entire chapter, really, uh, one of the dominant themes is not only freedom, but assurance. And maybe I could say it a different way, security. Security. Security and assurance. This passage we're looking at today, it, it gives us, really, Paul's dropping truth bombs all throughout Romans 8. Not a command anywhere in this chapter, 39 verses, just a promise after promise after declaration after declaration. So I thought maybe for an outline today, we would do a three truths that foster assurance. Three truths that, that foster assurance, and here they are. First, we see a new promise. Next, we see a new power. I could have said a new presence, a new person. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And then third, a new path. So a new promise, a new power, a new path. Read with me in Romans chapter 8. We'll start in verse 3. And we'll get through verse 11, but we won't get through verse 11 today, okay? We're going we're to take our time. We're going to smell the flowers. We're going to slow the car down. Uh, not like you do on the interstate when there's a, a wreck beside you, but when there's something so beautiful, so captivating, so arresting your attention, you feel compelled to just pull over and stop. Have you ever done that? Have you seen something so beautiful, so mysterious, so wonderful, so powerful, you just feel like you have to stop and... Stop what you're doing, whether it's driving a car, hopefully you pull on the shoulder, right? Um, Or you're just in the middle of something, what you thought was important, but this is just so arresting. That's what chapter 8 of Romans is. So follow with me, chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. Here we go. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin... He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on The spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What a tremendous promise. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ, or raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear all those promises, all those declarations, all those statements? Amazing. Nothing short of incredible. This is a new reality for us. When we're in Christ, when we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness in the flesh to the kingdom of being in Christ and in the spirit. Everything's different. Whole new arrangement. Whole new power. Whole new reality. So the title of this message today is Your New Reality. Your New Reality. And it starts with a new promise. It starts with this new promise. And we, we really see this in verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, there's therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. The no is, is emphatic. There's none left. God's ha- God has no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. That is an irrevocable promise. You're, I think everyone, there's this underlying uh, anxiety and fear of judgment. We all, we all have it. Fear, we're afraid of being found out, or a skeleton in the closet, or I'm not who I appear to be, or a secret, or a past sin, or a present struggle. And when we carry that to the, to the divine, like there's going to be a judgment day, and I'm afraid. And Paul is given this declaration, this promise, for you. Your judgment day happened, listen to me, your judgment day happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. There's no judgment left for you, so you can live in that freedom. God wants you to live in that freedom. In fact, your new position as a Christian is so radical and, and, and so defying of description, Paul had to coin a new phrase to describe it, in Christ, and he's infatuated with it. He says a version of that, in Christ, in him, in whom, all throughout Ephesians, over 150 times in the New Testament. It's a strange, weird, quirky way of telling us what we are now, our new position. We have been placed into all the benefits of Jesus that Jesus Christ secured for us by his life, perfect life, substitutionary death, and, and supernatural resurrection. We've been placed into those benefits and privileges. They're ours now. We're in Christ. That's what that means. That means union. We have union with, with our rescuer. We have union with God. It's so mysterious and, and, and almost a mystical union that we're connected uh, in a way that can't ever be broken to Jesus. It's, it's, I would say it's synonymous with the, the vine talk in John 15. We are in the vine. We are the branches that, that, that get our source and our strength and our power from the vine. We can't ever be separated from that vine. He's the head. We're the body. He's the vine. We're the branches. He's the, the cornerstone. We're the bricks in the building. There's all these analogies that just defy, defy words, really. There's just helpful analogies and phrases to help us know what we have. It's that promise. Jesus so gives himself to us. Every barrier has been removed between you and God because of what Jesus did. That's the promise that's in, Rome, that's in Romans chapter 8. We are now inseparably joined together to the living Christ. We could not be, listen to this. Let me just speak this declaration over you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted in the saving work of Jesus Christ, you are in Christ, you could not be more united to him, more included in him, or more secure in him than you are right now. It can't happen. 
because you're not doing anything to make yourself secure to begin with, so you can't deepen that security. It's, it's, you, you, you've hit a rock of security. You can't be any more secure. Maybe, maybe a way to, to say it would be this. What is the safest place in the world for you? Does everyone have a safe place? Safe, maybe we're in Florida. We have hurricanes. I'm from the south. We had tornadoes all the time, and there was always a safe place, right? There's danger. There's a threat. Go find the safe place. For us, it was the middle of our little house. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a carpenter now, so a lot of, I've done a lot of myth-busting about what the actual safest place in a house actually is, but usually it's, it's down, right? Or it's in the, in the center where most of the studs and the walls are. It's right there, or a basement of some kind. I was watching a documentary on, on 9-11, just maybe gearing up for the holiday here, uh, watching a documentary on 9-11, you know, when the attacks on the World Trade Center in New York and Manhattan happened, and the most important people uh, to, to our nation, those are the people that when there's a threat and there's still a mystery as to how deep this is, how far-reaching, or is it a coup, is this internal, what's going on here? Nobody knew. So they took the two most important people in the United States, which, which are what? The president and the VP, right? And they said, we've got to get them to the most safest and secure place in the world. Now, uh, Bush was, was flying from something he was doing, I think, in Florida. He was doing something, uh, no child left behind, Sarasota, thank you. Uh, so they had to fly him. So he was in Air Force One, which is pretty secure, right? And they told him, look, just keep flying around. We're going to take you off the map. Nobody knows where you're at. You stay in Air Force One, uh, which probably, I don't know, that plane probably has nuclear capability. Who knows everything that plane has? Uh, oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a, a picture here. So the most important person in the United States is in Air Force One, and they're like, you stay up there, fly around like a bird until we tell you otherwise. Vice President was in Washington, and they took him to a place that has been dubbed the bunker. <laughs> the bunker. And there's like all kinds of mystery surrounding this place. Where exactly is it? Under the west wing? Under the east wing? Could it survive a nuclear holocaust? I'm just interested in that stuff. It's fascinating to me. What's the safest place in the world? You could be a storm cellar, an, an airplane uh, that's off the map, a bunker. The safest place that you could possibly be spiritually that nobody can snatch you out of, nobody can threaten you, nobody can harm you, nobody can condemn you or judge you or destroy you. Where is it? You're there already if you're in Christ. Amen. That makes me want to do backflips up here. I mean, aren't we all looking for security? And we're so elusive, we can't find it. This is Paul get, serving you notice in Romans chapter 8. You are so secure. There's, no, there's nothing you can do to deepen your security. But there is something you can do to realize it. See, some people live their entire life without assurance. To me, that's one of the most tragic and enslaving things in some circles of Christianity. That assurance is either withheld from leaders who are misguided, or it's just not realized by the people that are reading their Bible. They're scared, like, ah, you care, you be careful. Don't tell people they're secure. When you do that, all kinds of bad stuff happens. I, I would submit to you this. Worse things happen when people don't realize their security. Because they're doing all kinds of crazy things to try and, and reach for it and establish it. That's harmful. That's destructive. So that's, that's one of the reasons why Romans 8, the entire chapter is in the Bible. And that's one of the reasons you don't find any commands in there. This is for your assurance. Sure, there's implications. Sure, there's ramifications. We're going to explore all of those. That's why we're going really slow. Sometimes we stop the car. Sometimes we, we just putter along, right? There's implications coming up in verses 13 and on about how to slay your sin. You're responsible to do that. You've been given the resources to do it successfully. 
But for now, Paul wants us to just sit, sit under these declarations. You are in Christ. You're in the safest, most secure place in the world. And you know, that's like, well, the most important people, like the president, the VP, you're, you can't get any more important to God. <laughs> you're his beloved children. You've been drafted into his family. Grafted in, not drafted. That sounded, that's the wrong word there, right? There's a war. God needs you. Come on. <laughs> you're grafted in. You're, you're in. You are so much a part of him. You're in him. You're united to him. You can't strip that away. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and none of them, none of them will fall away. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. I told you the story about Spurgeon, the lady who said, he said, uh, you're secure. You're, you're in his hand. And she said, but what if we slip through his fingers? And he said, you are his fingers. You're a so, so much a part of him. God's promises are so powerful. There was a pastor who at the beginning of the summer had to preach a double murder and suicide that happened on his campus. The first college gathering that summer, they were so excited to launch that, and just crazy things that, you know, you can go read about this on Google if you want to, but a double murder and a suicide happened in his parking lot, and he had to preach back-to-back funerals, and I was just curious to see, what is this, how's this pastor going to encourage his community? Here's what he said. He said, I have been learning to lean all of my weight on God's promises found in the Bible. Many things in life have a weight limit. Trampolines. Amen, they do. Say that. <laughs> Bridges, bicycles, skateboards exceed that capacity and they will bend, snap, and collapse, and you'll get hurt. God's promises are not like that. There's no weight limit, they'll never break. They won't even bend. They can sustain all the weight you can put on them, and not just yours, but the weight of your entire community, even the weight of the world. I wonder, I wonder, Grace Life, are we putting all of our weight on God's promises? Is there still some holdout? Like, ah, that's that's wonderful. That's for other Christians, though. Those are for the Christians that are really, they really have pulled themselves together. They're the ones that are supposed to enjoy these promises, not me. What we often fail to understand are those promises are the very power you need to, to live the Christian life. To be all that God wants you to be. You can't do it apart from those promises. If you're trying to work and earn your way up to assurance, you've got things totally backwards, friends. You work from assurance, not for assurance. I've met so many Christians and they're working for assurance. And I've got to tell you, you're never, it's, got, it's, it's like chasing a lightning bulb or a lightning bug. It's a terrible analogy because you can catch those things and score. What, what can you never catch? I don't know. That, so many people are chasing this elusive idea of assurance when God wants you to have it. He's not running. It's not playing hide and seek. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Obey a little bit more. No. It's free. It's right here. It's, it's a whole chapter here. God wants you to have this. Maybe you've been living your Christian life without this, or maybe you've been part of a denomination or a sect of Christianity that said, you know, your salvation's up for grabs. The jury's still out. We don't know. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine living, living life that way. can't imagine that. You are eternally secure in Christ forever. You're in Christ. You're in the Spirit. That's what this passage is all about. These are not exhortations. There are other places that are exhortations, and we're going to talk about those. This, these are declarations. If you're in Christ, Christ, all these other things are true of you. You are not in the flesh. You are now in the spirit. You've been transferred to a different kingdom. There's a whole new reality for you. This is not something that's just for elite Christians that are super spiritual. 
It's the way some people have interpreted this. No, you are in the spirit. You are no longer in the flesh. That is a promise. Take it as a promise. How many people right now who are in Christ also believe you are in the spirit? That's what this verse says. You can't separate those two. God's son and God's spirit, they're, they're two different persons in the trinity, but they're inseparable in their operations. You don't get one without the other. It's a package deal. <laughs> Father, son, and spirit. That's a promise. So, do you know what you have? I read, here's another. This is, I think, what God often wants us to be like. We, we, uh, my son Cooper turned four the other day, and he wanted a rocket birthday. So, Cape Canaveral, man, things were happening earlier this week. So, took off a little bit early and took him over there. And uh, it's a funny story because there's this massive, like, Mission 12 rocket. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about it. I've never been to Cape Canaveral or Titusville in my life to watch a, a launch. Some of you are, like, veterans, and you're like, you idiot. I am. I'm an idiot. So I'm looking at this huge rocket, and I'm like, buddy, we're going to see that thing go off. It's going to be amazing. And we get there, and we're looking at the big rocket, and there's a crowd gathered. And we hear, like, this, this noise, and we see this bright light. And it's not the big rocket. It's the little rocket. <laughs> I was so disappointed. But... You know who wasn't disappointed? That little four-year-old boy. He saw a rocket, falcon, whatever it was, I don't know, going up in the sky. Man, it was pretty phenomenal just to be close to that thing. The rumble, the thunder, the, the, the quaking. And just while I turned around and we snapped a picture because I, I never wanted to forget, like, man, that's, that's how I want to read the Bible. That's how I want to look at the finished work of Jesus. That's how I want to hear of how this new reality of him placing his very living spirit within me to empower me, to, to seal me, to give me assurance, to help me obey, to remind me of, of my security, of my adoption. That's how I want to view it. And so often it just, eh, it gets, I already know all that. I already know all that stuff. Are you living, are you living in that reality though? I want that. Sometimes we don't realize what we have. Here's another story I read. Yes, I use lots of illustrations because I want this to connect to you. This lady found this chair on Craigslist. It was free. She had no money to buy furniture because she spent it all on her grandkids. Anybody, anybody relate? <laughs> she found that chair. Something wasn't right in it. There was a lump in it. She reached her hand down in there. 36 grand, baby. How would you like that? It's Romans 8. You didn't know, it. You didn't know what you had, did you? 36 grand. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a follow-up story. She gave it back. Why? <laughs> She gave it back, and he gave her a $2,000 refrigerator. I'm like, man, she didn't walk away with that much. Anyway, the point is, do you realize what you have? So we're, we're going to study this passage this week and next, and I want to answer some questions. We have all these things. Uh, we're in the most secure place in the world. Do we still sin? Yes, we do. I have today. I've sinned. Maybe I'm not the only one. Word, thought, and deed. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Anybody else violate that today? I'm not celebrating that. It's just I, I don't want to miscommunicate what this chapter is saying. Will we still sin? Yes, we will, unfortunately. Do we still sometimes grieve the Spirit and displease our Lord by our actions, our words, and our thoughts? Of course we do. And it should sadden us. It saddens God. Might we still offend and hurt others? Need to offer an apology and ask forgiveness. Absolutely. Commanded to. 
But will our sins ever condemn us before God? Not on your life. Not on your life. Listen, guys, there's a lot of things my sin can do. I can send myself out of my marriage. I can send myself out of this ministry. I can send myself out of some friendships with you. I can send myself out of a job. I can send myself out of my health. I can't ever, if I am in Christ, I can't ever send myself out of Jesus. It's, it can't happen. And praise God for that. Now, do you think that declaration, that promise, is going to send me out with, with uh, licentious thoughts? Like, man, I'm going to go press the envelope then. I'm going to go see how, how much I can get away with, how far I can tow the line. Or is this a different kind of power that should flow out of that? Hallelujah, what a Savior. What gratitude I want to show. What thanksgiving. These are all promises. And there are, really, there are really two in the very beginning here. One's an encouragement. One's a warning. There's two key words in, in this section. One is spirit. And the opposite is flesh. Let's read that again. Starting in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Flesh. It's not talking about this skin, <laughs> your, your physical material components of your body. It's talking about your sin-dominated self, your deep, profound, natural inclination away from God, your, your aversion to all things related to God, your antagonism toward God. That's your flesh. And it's present in every single human being. Naturally, it's there. We're born in sin. We're children of, by, by nature, we're children of wrath, Ephesians says. When the power and influence of sin fills and surrounds a human's existence, it produces self-absorption, self-indulgence, and self-reliance. And listen, the flesh, naturally, the flesh is as, it is as unchosen as hunger and as comfortable as sleep to us. It's natural. Apart from Christ, we are fleshly. We're in the flesh. We have an aversion to God. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why we need God's Holy Spirit to be changed. Listen, our flesh even has a morality. We'll look at somebody worse off than us, right? Right, church? <laughs> like, I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing all right. Listen, the flesh is, is such a problem because it can't submit to God's law. It's hostile to God. It can't please God. That's why it's such a problem. It's not able to. It does not possess the ability to please God on its own. And listen, here's, here's a part of that warning promise. If you are in the flesh, if that's your locality spiritually, if that's the insecure place that you're dwelling spiritually, you can't change yourself. You can't pull yourself out of the flesh and put yourself into the spirit. It's a miracle that God has to do. You can ask him for it, obviously. You can't do it. That's why, that's why our problem as human beings are, are deeper and more profound than just choices that we make. And that's why living in the flesh is beyond just a choice. 
You can be the most clean, respectable, well-mannered, polite, put-together human being and still be dominated by the flesh. In fact, the Pharisees were just that, weren't they? (laughs) Can you think of anybody that's more on the outside religious and spiritual than the Pharisees, and yet they were totally dominated by the flesh? Paul even says, he even says in Philippians 3, if anybody had reason to boast in the flesh, nobody had more than me. I was a Benjamin, I was a Pharisee, I had mad religion. <laughs> what you don't have is a heart to obey God and to love God and to honor God. You just have rules. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said, very helpful. Walking in the flesh does not necessarily mean gross evil or flagrant immorality. It does not mean necessarily drunkards, adulterers, or murderers. What it does mean is being or walking in a state and condition in which the Holy Spirit is not leading us and guiding us. And again, that means the nicest, most respectable, moral, upstanding, ethical, kind, polite, well-dressed, well-mannered man or woman who is not a Christian is just as much in the flesh as the person thrown up in the gutter with an addiction, right? Holy Spirit is not influencing either one of those. They are both in the flesh. Carnally minded, that means... Dead and hostile to God, not just, in, not just insensitive to him, but antagonistic to him. I remember when I was a teenager, I've told you the story about when I was in a fraternity in college. I was a prodigal then, and this Christian that went door to door, and like I couldn't stand the guy. I wanted him to just go away. I wouldn't even answer the door anymore. He was relentless. That was when I was a prodigal. Before that, rewind the tape, I was in high school, and I was a, on the outside. Man, I hope this does not sound like I'm bragging. I'm, I'm not at all. I was... I was as lost as a ball on high weeds, as they say, Uh, but I was on the outside a good person. I was a good kid. I made good grades. I studied hard. I tried to be a good friend to others. I went to church. I excelled in sports. I I made good scores, made good grades. I was friendly. I was kind. I didn't sleep around. I didn't get drunk on Fridays. Uh, I was a pretty upstanding, morally respectable kid. Uh, but I was in the flesh, and I remember on Friday nights, I'd be uptown with my friends, not partying, hanging out, and there was this weird teenager from another school, and he would come up, and he would go to each one of us, and he would say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Tell me about your relationship to Jesus. Now, I want to be honest with you. I hated his guts. Could not stand that guy. Wanted him to go far away from me. Why? Because if he would have asked me, hey, do you go to church? I would have put my arm around him and said, heck yeah, man. I'm good. I go, to, I go to East Side Baptist, where do you go? He wasn't asking me that question. He was asking me, talk about your relationship to Jesus. And I knew I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. There wasn't one. I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. But I didn't drink. I didn't, I, wait, what was the saying? I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't date the girls that do, right? <laughs> On the outside, I look great. On the inside, just as dead, hollow, empty, and hostile to God as as any pagan ever was. That's what it means to be in the flesh. So don't be fooled. And that's why it can be deceptive, man, when whole movements are characterized by just what's clean on the outside. And I mean, you got the Pharisees over here in the flesh, right? You got the Sadducees over here progressive liberal, didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in supernatural things, both equally in the flesh. In fact, both united to kill Jesus. So 
in the flesh, it just means hostile to God, insensitive, unfeeling, and antagonistic toward God. So, this means that what is wrong with us goes much deeper than a choice or a mistake. It's impulsive. It's your nature. It's a mindset. It's a worldview. And that also means we're going to need something different than just more information to change us, right? That's why he says, look at the first part of this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What could the law not do? Change your heart. You remember the song we were singing? It said something, Vitaly, I wrote it down. Great song, TJ, Vitaly. Wrote it down here, one lyrics. Change the leper spots, melt the heart of stone. Can the law do that? No. God has done what the law could not do by sending his son and by sending his spirit. <laughs> you need both of those, not those, them. <laughs> you need both of them. You need the son to justify you, to, to, to save you, you need the Spirit to sanctify you, to seal you. You need both of them. It, it requires more than just new information. This will not change your heart. Whenever I'm driving home to Arkansas, listen, I love God's law. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses extolling the praises, the virtues, the, the glory of God's law. And we should echo amen in every one of those. And at the same time, we should know the law's limitations. Whenever I'm driving home to, to Arkansas every year, there's a, somewhere along Alabama or Georgia somewhere, man, you start getting all these signs. And I love seeing God's law wh wherever it is. But I'm always reminded, too, if there's a person who's just in the flesh that's driving down the highway and sees that, God can use that in a powerful way to convict them or to recollect a Sunday school lesson maybe they heard in the past. But that self is not going to be able to change a person's heart. The law can't do that. God has done what the law, and it's, the law, it's not the law's fault. The law was never intended to do that. God did. God did what the law couldn't do by sending a son. We don't need another law. The law is not the problem. It was perfect. The law wasn't broken. What was broken? We were. Our hearts were broken. We needed something more powerful. So, talks about the flesh there and it also talks about the spirit and that's point two we have not only a new promise and that promise carries over in into this section too we have we have a new power we have a new presence we have a new person let me let me finish that out there in verse three god has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the what? Spirit. The Spirit. Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He mentions him again in verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's this indwelling presence. Worst roommate ever. Remember that sermon. Worst roommate ever, a law of sin and death, indwelling sin. It's there. It, it, it harasses us. It opposes us. It resists us. Whenever we want to do something noble, obedient for God, and love and serve God and others, that indwelling sin is there to, to oppose us. But there is another indwelling presence. 
the Holy Spirit. And they're not on equal terms. We are now in the Spirit. We're not in sin any longer. We're dead to sin. We're dead to it. We're no longer under its dominion, under its kingdom, under its power, under its jurisdiction, under its authority. We are now in Christ, and we are now under the Spirit's domain, under His influence. It's a whole new reality. It's a whole new arrangement. There's a whole new dynamic and a whole new power, power change now. And that's a promise. We have that Spirit. We're in that Spirit. Not only are we just not condemned. I mean, I hope that nobody in this building or under the sound of my voice watching this thinks that there's therefore now no condemnation. Well, that's it. We're good. We're good. God's going to dust us off, and on judgment day we'll be, we'll be fine. Is that where God stops? Is God content that you just not be condemned? Is, this just, is salvation just a get-out-of-jail-free card? I've been playing Monopoly with my sons. We love it. And, man, those things are valuable. You need those, don't you? Get-out-of-jail-free cards. No, God wants you to, like, dominate and monopolize the whole thing. That's why there's 39 verses here, more than conqueror. No condemnation to more than conqueror. How's that work? By the Spirit's power, by the Spirit's presence. Listen, he says in verse 3, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What is God's ultimate desire for us? Now that we're no longer condemned, we're in Christ, we're free, we're under this new power, this new dominion, and we're to walk according to the Spirit now, not according to the flesh. Why? So that what? What's the end, go- What's the end goal, God? What is it that you're after? He wants you and I to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. That's amazing. God wants our obedience. He wants us to pursue holiness. He loves us so much, he's giving us a guarantee that we can do that. He wants us to do that, and now we're able to do it. In fact, our longing, our desire has changed. Everything has changed. You're not in sin. You're not in the flesh now. That's the beauty of this promise. You're a new person. There's a new reality. Now you can walk according to the Spirit. You will walk according to the Spirit. I would go so far as to say that. This is a promise. If you are in Christ, you are in the Spirit, and you will walk according to the Spirit, and the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled in you. It will happen. It's going to happen. It's a guarantee. That's glorious, isn't it? Isn't that a good promise to wrap your mind around? It's powerful. He sent his son to justify us. He sent his spirit to sanctify us. And there's different language here. The word walk is here in the beginning. Those who walk according to the spirit, it's a lifestyle. It's a direction. It's a dimension. But later, the translation, it's just hard in English to capture what it says in Greek. It uses a verb of being a state of verb, a verb of existence. It just says live. Look look at this, verse Five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It actually says those who are according to the Spirit. Those who exist according to the Spirit. That's, a, that's God's description of you. Now that you're in Christ, you exist according to the Spirit. You are filled with His Spirit. You have His Spirit. His Spirit is in you. It's with you. It's freeing you. It's empowering you. It's delivering you. It's equipping you. Not it. I'm, I just said it ten times, didn't I? Somebody smacked me. He, he, he. Holy Spirit is a person. Man, it's just easy to think that way, isn't it? Like Star Wars. May the force be with you. It's not, 
There is a force exuded from the Holy Spirit, but He is a person. That's why we can grieve Him. You can't grieve a force. You can grieve a person. You can quench a person. You can insult a person. You can honor a person. You can obey a person. We have the Spirit. We have Him. God could not give us more of Himself than He has. And it's okay to pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Paul does pray that, and we can pray that. But it is a reality. We're pray- when we pray that, we're asking God, Lord, make this a reality for me. Make, make me so understand this and embrace this that my life is according to this. God can't give you more of your spirit than he already has. You have been seated together in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you already in Christ Jesus. You can forget those. You can insult those. You can slight those and neglect those. That's why we have a grow class that we're offering right now at Grace Life Church. I mean, we could have called that how to walk according to the Spirit in some, in some measure because that's what we're doing. It's when you walk according to the Spirit, it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, it's a word that just means your lifestyle. That is your, you are living, you are loving the things that the Spirit loves. You're embracing the things that the Spirit embraces. And I might be getting ahead of myself, but let me say, let me say this. This is, was just interesting to me when it, when it says in verse 3, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that's a singular requirement, a singular. When you think of the law, you may think of all these commands. Thou shalt not, blunt, dun, 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 or thou shalt, dun, 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 dun. It's interesting here when he says the righteous requirement of the law, singular. So the Apostle Paul has one thing in mind that the Holy Spirit has been placed within you, and the word indwell is used three times here. Paul's trying to say, this is, he's within you. I put him there. He's there for, for, for one overarching uh, fulfillment. So if I were to ask you sum up in one word, what is the righteous requirement, singular, of the law, what would you say? What does the law require of you? Love. Right? Love. I can prove it to you. Check this out. Right there. Romans chapter 13. We'll get there. We got maybe a couple years. <laughs> oh, man, I do this all the time. I can't read that. All right. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has, what's that, what's that, those three words? Fulfilled the law, right. Now, I know it's talking about horizontal fulfillment, right? Your brothers, your sisters, your enemies, everybody. Uh, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in... This word, you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, what's the fulfilling of the law? Love. I ask you a question. Do you find it easy to love the things that you love? Yes, the things that you love. Star Wars, chocolate, <laughs> sleep, <laughs> whatever, a lot of other things too. I know y'all. What about the, th- what about the things that aren't easy to love? Difficult people, your pastor, maybe. <laughs> a spouse, a kid, the life that God gave you, your neighbor that's annoying you to no end, right? 
Whatever it is. Or how about this? Let's, let's get, let me get in your kitchen. How about God? Do you find it difficult? Man, I, I, this is just coming to me here. That's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you find that easy? Do you need help? Do you need help loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? God says, done. Done. I gave you my very spirit. There is nothing God could do other than what he's already done to help you obey the commandment that he gave you that will honor him. It's just like this circular honoring, right? It's like a dad, and it's Father's Day, and he has a son uh, who's young and has no job, <laughs> and he wants to get a Father's Day gift. And there's only one way that he can give that gift. What? How, what, what you, you guys know what it is, right? Dad, can I have some money so I can buy you a gift? Sure, son. Get me something gr- Give me something good. Here's a 50. Don't tell your mom, right? <laughs> that's what this is God wants you to love him he gave you what you need to do that he gave you his spirit we are all being driven compelled by something man there's so much more in here and I know I'm always running out of time to set your mind on something it means a dominating lifestyle it can also mean a preoccupation or obsession the things of the, what is the spirit preoccupied with? It's, it's interesting to me, man. A little bit later in this chapter, I told you the word spirit, we got tons more to, to talk about with the Holy Spirit. So don't feel deprived if I didn't get to everything today, okay? This is a little bit later in the chapter. Verse 14 tells us that those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. The spirit, verses 15 and 16, removes a fear of rejection and assures us that we are God's beloved children. Verses 26 and 27, the Spirit gives us confidence to approach God in prayer. So the rest of this chapter is showing us what the things of the Spirit are, that we are adopted, we are loved, we are welcomed, we have a privileged standing in Christ, and the Spirit is helping us understand that, so that out of that comes a power that we can obey God and honor Him and love others, and be salt and light, and be a non-anxious presence in the world. So there's hints of the new covenant here, just a new orientation. God has written his law in your heart. He's turned your heart of stone that's calloused, cold, aloof, indifferent. He's changed that. I, I just can't help but think, of, my, my mind just goes to analogies like this, it's like this, and like this. It's, it's like a tiger is, is a carnivorous animal. You don't see tigers eating kale, do you? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a tiger eating kale, or a lion, or a grizzly bear maybe, I don't know. Think of the most carnivorous creature you can. Maybe it's you. I don't, I don't know. Why, why, why do those things eat meat? Because it's in their nature. They have to. High-protein diet, right? How can something that's, that's a meat eater be changed to an herbivore? Like God has to change the very nature of that thing, right? And there's language like that all throughout the Bible. I was reading Isaiah 55, and it talks about the miracle. It's, it's Old Testament gospel, but it talks about this miracle, this regeneration that's to come. That, that the suffering servant is going to usher in. And he says, the thorn shall be changed into a cypress. Isn't that amazing? It's easy to read your Bible and read right through that. Oh, hang on a minute. A thorn bush. Dry, painful, ugly, dangerous. If there's a, you know, a drought and there's fire or lightning nearby or July 4th, you know. Changed to this, this lush, shady, uh, Vegetation, I don't know what all you can do with the cypress. I should have probably studied that more before I mentioned this verse. But cypress is a good thing in the Old Testament. You'd much rather have a cypress than a thorn. So if you keep planting thorn seeds and briars, the only thing that's going to come up in your fence row is going to be thorns. 
It's a miracle. It's a miracle for a thorn to be changed into cyber. You realize you're a miracle. You are, <laughs> you are a walking miracle, Christian. You are. You had the Holy Spirit of God dwell. That is a trump. I, I don't have words. I don't, I, and I am a word nerd. I don't have any words to describe it other than say, read Romans 8. It's phenomenal. Read it every day. John Wesley had this read out loud to him every day for, until he died from the time he was a Christian. I mean, you don't have to have somebody read it. Read it yourself out loud, right? That's how transformative this chapter is intended to be. You are a miracle. And that's the last point. I'm going to go really fast here. And we may loop back around and get this. Um, a new path. A new path. What, if, you, if, if you're not a carnivore, and you're an herbivore, and you have a new nature, you have a, a new reality, a new arrangement, a whole new power that you're under, a new person and presence dwelling within you, then you have a new path. Like you're, you're fun, your disposition's fundamentally changed. Your, your orientation, the things you delight in, your affections, your relationships, everything changes. I was reading a, reading a, a book that our, that our men were going through, some of them together. And the, and the author was talking about Uganda in East Africa, there was a man who came under the power of the, of the preaching of the Christians. He came under the power of the gospel. He was an absolute pagan, never heard a Bible or heard about Jesus a day in his life. These Christian missionaries came. He came under the power of the gospel, and he was converted. No Bible training, just an absolute animist, uh, uh, animistic religion where they worshiped their, their ancestors and all that. And in one month time, his, the Holy Spirit of God so changed him. This is what he says. Back home in East Africa, a Uganda man, 45 years old, a pagan, illiterate, who knew nothing about Christ, was brought by grace through the preaching of the Christians into the presence of Jesus and him crucified. And that man was so changed, so changed, that within a month when impure thoughts came into his heart, he literally went outside from a meeting and vomited. What sensitivity. A man who was just steeped in paganism with no Bible training, no background, and now because of this new power, this new reality, this new presence, this new person dwelling within him, he became so sensitive to the things of God, it physically made him sick when, when, when previously destructive patterns of thinking came into his mind. It made him physically sick. He, he went outside and threw up. I think that's what Paul's saying here. Everything is new. He's walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Holy Spirit renewed his personality. Listen, I'll say it this way. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. If there, because this is a promise and this is to encourage you. I know we still struggle with sin. I know that, that those patterns of living and thinking and besetting sins that we wrestle with, I know there's, there's a struggle, there's a real conflict but let me encourage you. Here's a question to ask yourself, maybe that will help you with assurance. If there were a no more sin button that you could push, you could push it right now. I shoved it out in front of you. I said, look, I know that we're in, a, we're in sanctification right now, and we're not going to be glorified. The presence of sin will not fully be rid of until we're glorified when Christ comes or we die. But here, here's this one-time offer, buddy. If you hit this button, you will never sin again. Now, that means... That means those, you know, sometimes those thoughts we relish and, 
oh, it's, it's, it's tasty to remember that or this, but, but, but listen, you can end all of that. If you can just hit this button right now, no more sin, you cannot tell me that when you're thinking clearly, you say, give it to me. I just want to be, I want to be delivered. You're like Romans 7, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? Wouldn't you hit that button? Of course you would. You would say, I want to honor Christ. I want to honor God all my life. I want to do it. Give me the button right now. That's what Paul's saying. You're, you, you are in Christ. You are in the Holy Spirit, and he's within you. There's a new dimension, but there's also a struggle. We don't have that button right now. Can't push it, right? But God's giving us something. And listen, if that were better for us, we'd have it. We'd have that button. We don't. We got something better than that button. We got the Holy Spirit. God is honored every single time we fight and put death to sin. We died. Sin didn't die. Sin is still indwelling, right? But we're dead to it. But it tries to crawl back on. Not the altar cliff, the throne. Sin tries to climb back on the throne and play king of the hill. But you're not in the flesh anymore. <laughs> now I got weapons, right? I'm a new person. You're about to be in trouble, right? There's a fight. You're about to have a fight here. That's what Paul's saying. That's what this whole chapter is about. He sends his spirit deep to internalize his commandments inside of us so that we can walk according to to the flesh. Listen, this is human flourishing is keeping God's commandments. God didn't send his commandment to wreck us. He sent his commandments because that is how life works best. That's how life works best for all of us. So, here's the conclusion. We're not under the law. We're under a different power. We're in Christ and we are in the spirit and the spirit is within us. And look, I just want to point this out. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is Paul writing pastorally to a new church in Rome, and he's giving them assurance. Like, look, if you're in Christ, you're in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have everything that God has for you. And you are walking in it. And you should continue to walk in it. And he's going to have more to say about that, the next section here. It's not like an elite super class of Christians. This is not a spectrum of, well, there's carnal Christians... And then there's like the super elite Christians. You can't get that out of this passage. I know there's other passages that talk about we can act carnally, right? But Paul is not giving you a spectrum here to like nudge you around. There, he is giving you two distinct divisions. I know we have divisions. We, we have divisions in humanity. They're superficial and shallow, right? We have political divisions. We have social divisions. We have sometimes denominational divisions. This is much more deep and profound. This is in the spirit and in the flesh. And Paul's saying, if you're in Christ, you're in the Spirit. Now walk according to it. Live according to it. That's what he's saying here. And this will motivate us to love our enemies. This will motivate us to give to the cause of God and his kingdom. This will motivate you to forgive the people that trespass and sin against you. Are you carrying around bitterness right now because somebody so wronged you and hurt you and you just can't forgive them? You need power to do that. Right here, you have it. Right here, you have it. To look away when the world says click, you have that power, men and women. To suffer with a song in your heart. To face the worst about yourself so you can get the help you need. I have found that is a weakness that very many Christians have. They will not face the worst things about themselves so they can go to God and get help and maybe get connected to a person that can help connect them to that help. Like a counselor or a pastor or a friend. 
the help that motivates you to pick up your cross and follow Jesus to hard people and the hard places. That is walking in the Spirit. That is love that fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. And we have it through God's endless power and presence of His Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's what we celebrate. What did it cost God to get that to us? To get Him to us? Come on, word. It cost Him everything. And He gave it freely. And we celebrate that every first Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for these promises. I pray that we would behold them. We would treasure them. We would believe them. We would memorize them. We would recite them out loud. We would study them. And we would live according to them, Lord. We would set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We would not resort back to the way of thinking and the way of living we did before. These promises would propel us forward, God. Thank you for the families you brought today. I trust you brought those, Lord. You wanted to hear this. I needed to hear this today. I need to hear it over and over again. And we need visible reminders of the transaction, Lord, that that propel all of this uh, to becoming a reality, the cross, the death of the Son of God. So be with us now as we celebrate this together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I should have uh, just given notification at the beginning of the service when we have a first Sunday. Some of you have children who are in the back uh, in the K-5 through class, and they have professed faith in Christ, and you want to celebrate communion with them, and that's, we want you to do that. And our teachers have been notified about that, so this is your cue if you want to go and get your children from the back to come and celebrate communion. Certainly feel the freedom to do that. Uh, prepare your heart. I would ask our, our servers, our ambassadors, to come forward and help me serve communion at this time. Communion is one of the ordinances that God gave his church. It, is, uh, it fits our theme today because it's intended to give assurance. It's intended to give assurance. It's a picture of what has happened to us um, and what it cost God the Father. It's, it's a beautiful reminder that grace was not cheap <laughs> for God. It cost him everything. But he gave it joyfully. He gave it willingly. This is a... A sobering moment for in the life of a church because it reminds us that we're we were so sinful that God had to die. That's how deep and profound our our situation was, our problem was. But but here's the good news: God loves us so much and is so committed to us. He willingly, joyfully, lovingly died for us. Amen. That's what communion reminds us of. So if you came in here today. And you're just riddled with that. You're shot through with doubts. Just, I feel like you're Swiss cheese, man. There's just doubts all throughout you. And you want to be filled up with the promises of God. This is for you. This is a reminder. God loves you this much. He gave you his most treasured possession. He gave you his beloved son. And he, and he gave you his Holy Spirit. So we remember that today. Would you guys pass out the, the elements here? We went back to the old style. So just remember these, the ones we're using today, they have uh, two different, sorry to kill the spirit of this, man. This is just kind of a housekeeping thing here. <laughs> since, we use, since we use the, uh, the campus of Volusia County, try not to spill this. It's, it's really kind of precarious. The first 
wrapper on top gives you the, the cracker, the wafer. And the second one is a little harder to pull off. That's the juice underneath. So we're going to be passing this out. And this is just a reminder. I'm going to turn to the passage that the Apostle Paul gave instructions about communion. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11. And he's writing this to a church, and part of this was corrective. They weren't celebrating communion the right way, for the right reasons, with the right motive. It turned into like a drunken feast for them. And Paul is bringing correction, and he's bringing rebuke too. And so he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine, him, examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So how do we partake of communion in, in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? We fix our minds on the finished work of Jesus. And if that leads us to confessing a sin... To repenting of a sin, that's glorious. If, if it brings to mind somebody that we have a broken relationship with, that God is moving us to get that right, hallelujah. Here's the primary thing God wants us to, to focus our minds on is his finished work, his imputed righteousness. We are not worthy because of our moral life that we may or may not have lived or the striving and the performing. This, this is a reminder that, that Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So, let's take the bread. Let me read it one more time. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to remember your broken body that you gave on our behalf. Lord, it took that. Our sin problem was so deep and so profound, such a part of us. Lord, you had to come from heaven. You had to subject yourself to time and space and, and the physical body and weakness and bone and flesh and blood. And you gave that body on our behalf, Lord, instead of us in our place, and it was broken, and it was beaten, Lord, and that's just a physical picture of what went on spiritually when you absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. So help us to partake of the, the body and the blood of Christ in a worthy manner. Help us to discern the body and the blood, your body and your blood today, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. So, there we go. So take that bread, let's do it together. says in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's take 
the juice, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus, and do it together. Lord God, thank you for the body and the blood that you shed for us. Thank you that you know us, you created us, Lord, you understand us. We are visual learners. It helps to have something that we can handle and touch and taste just to remember that, that you came in a body. You became a human being, Lord. You came as, as close to sinners as you could possibly come without becoming a sinner, Lord. Instead, you became sin for us. You condemned sin in the flesh. You gave your body. You gave your blood. And we do this today to remember you, to proclaim your death. We are all preaching a sermon right now, Lord, and partaking of communion. We proclaim your death until you come. And we say thank you, Lord. Help us all of our days to honor the sacrifice that you made and to live according to your spirit. Pray this message would resonate with us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can take a seat. Uh, it also says that after they celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus, that they crossed the brook and they sang a hymn together. And so as one of the traditions at Grace Life, we're going to sing a hymn together, and then uh, we'll have a couple of announcements. Matt, are you doing the announcements today? And then we'll be dismissed, so... Worship team, lead us in a hymn. Why don't you stand with us together? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. God is faithful. 
There it is. There it is. We're good. Man, what a perfect song. Um, God's promises in Romans 8 are forever. The Lord will never leave us or forsake us. We're his now and forever. Um, so like Tommy said, we just have a couple of announcements before we head out. The first one, we have a, a little survey we would like for you to fill out. Many of you already have. Um, if you have not, it's just about community groups, discipleship groups, you can actually scan that QR code, and it'll take you straight to the survey, or you can check back in your email. We've sent it out via email as well. If you could just get that in this week, it'll help us moving forward with how to best communicate and let people know about community groups and discipleship groups. So if you would fill that out for us, that would be awesome. Also, today is the first Sunday of the month, and every first Sunday we collect um, supplies, food, snacks, Things for families here at Deltona High School who are in transition, who don't have a, a home to call their own at this time. So we collect things to help those families, to help those students and their parents in, in their time of greatest need. Um, so if you have that, there's a place in the lobby to drop those off. Um, also, this Saturday, July the 9th, is my anniversary. Six years, baby. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Also, um, it's also a student fundraiser car wash for camp. I don't know who planned it on my anniversary. Whoever's in charge of student ministry, whoever that was. Um, so come out and support us. You'll see students. If you're in here, 6th through 12th grade, you want to help sell some tickets, go ahead and start heading back there. You'll see a table with their signs. They're ready to roll, man. We've trained them in very aggressive sales tactics. <laughs> and they're not going to let you go without paying. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's $10 a car wash. We're pre-selling tickets. You don't have to buy one today. You can show up on Saturday, pay on site, 
Uh, it's going to be at the Fancy Fruit parking lot in Orange City. The address is somewhere online. You can, you can Google it. Fancy Fruit. It's right off 1792. Easy to find. We'll be out there from 9 to 12 this Saturday. It's going to be a blast. Also, oh, with student ministry, by the way, we are not meeting tonight. It's the first Sunday of the month, but with the holiday weekend, we decided to not meet. To, I'm sure a lot of people are out of town anyways. We will be meeting uh, the third Sunday of this month, July 17th. So be looking out for info on that gathering. Next Sunday, we are sending off Courtney and Thomas Wampler. So come for Kona Ice with Miss Courtney. It's, it's going to be a blast. Next Sunday, I believe kids are free, right? Kids are free. Adults, bring some cash. Buy your car wash today and buy some Kona Ice next week. Um, it's, no, but seriously, it's gonna, we want to bless the Wampler family as they transition out. And I know nothing would warm Miss Courtney's heart more than to just enjoy your kids one last Sunday. She loves discipling them and pouring into them. So celebrate with us next Sunday as we send them off. And finally, last announcement. On your way out, you will see on the table, it'll be on your left-hand side. Tommy's holding one up right now. We're handing um, sparklers to you to hand to a neighbor, to a friend, someone, to invite them to Grace Life, to just let them know you're thinking of them, that you love them. Um, it's a pack of sparklers. It kind of looks like a candy bar, but it's not. It's sparklers, okay? So keep them out of reach of young children, please, and uh, it'll help you spark a conversation. Yeah. See what we did there? Okay. So that's just a way for you to connect with your community for this 4th of July. Also, on the sparkler cover, Miss Diane outdid herself. They look amazing. There's a QR code on the thing that your neighbor can scan. It'll take them to a prayer request form if they need prayer for anything, and also a sermon by Tommy about true freedom in the Spirit. So let them know about that. An easy way for you to connect with people and encourage them because we want to be a church who, who goes. With that being said, let's stand to our feet. Every week we read our charge, our Grace Life charge, to remind us that we are not just the church in here. We are called to be the church out there as well. So let's read this together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. 